Welcome to part two of the Decade in Review, the Giants and Jets here on the Evan Roberts Podcast. Uh, joining me again is Sean Morash, noted New York football Giants fan. The first part of our podcast, even for me, was fun. I had my two title game appearances, the height of the Rex Ryan era. There were some bad moments, obviously. You got yourself a Super Bowl championship. But as we begin the second part of the decade, and we certainly didn't know this at the time, things are about to get they're about to get awful. I mean, this is actually this is going to be a very depressing hour and a half. I just want to warn everybody what you're about to listen to. I mean, you know it because you know what happened, but this is about to get very, very sad. Oh, the most depressing half decade, I think, of both of our lives. lives. <laughs> yes. And, let, you know, it starts with my depression because right after the 2014 season ended, the Jets had – they really bottomed out with Rex Ryan, as we talked about. They went 4-12. and 12. John Idzik was a disaster. Woody Johnson decides to fire John Idzik and Rex Ryan. And as a Rex supporter, as a guy that liked Rex Ryan, that appreciated Rex Ryan, I was okay with it. I was. Uh, I was sad that it didn't work out. I was sad he never got to meet the president like he claimed he would when he first got here. And I was sad that bozos like you got to celebrate his demise. <laughs> but, but what I think made me and a lot of Jet fans okay about it was that John Idzik was going to. There was a l- real concern that Rex was gone and Idzik was going to remain. So the news that both of them are out, it, it did soften the blow that the Rex Ryan era was going to be over. Yeah, and again, the Rex Ryan era, I understand what you loved about the early parts, but the noticeable decline was there. And ultimately, if it was time for a change in the voice of the locker room alone, without the GM, that would have been fine. But as you mentioned, John Idzik, little problems. Was he not building the team properly to build it for Rex Ryan? So if that meant cost him too, I think you guys should have been fine at that moment. Well, and you know, I look back to the demise of the Rex era, and it really kind of, and I know things were going down before this, but we talked about the Snoopy Bowl incident, a game I was at where Rex reinserted Mar- or inserted Mark Sanchez behind backup offensive lineman. He got hurt. Geno Smith was forced to start. And Geno had some good moments in his rookie season, but that really did feel like the end because Mark Sanchez was the quarterback. That helped the Jets get to -to back-to-back title games. Rex was the head coach, and it just felt like this whole thing is over. So they released Mark Sanchez. They brought in Michael Vick. It was just, it felt like, well, this main part of the era is over. So Rex going to now really puts a close on it. And And I remember when they were going through their search. It was embarrassing that basically Woody Johnson needed to hire a search firm. He basically needed to say to Charlie Casserly, who should I hire? And I was open-minded about Todd Bowles and Mike McCagney because the thing about Todd Bowles at the time was, okay, successful defensive coordinator, great, we're going to give him a shot. I know at the time I wanted a – the guy I wanted was Gary Kubiak, to be honest with you, because I wanted a guy with experience. I wanted an offensive-minded guy because I felt like the Jets had always gone in that same mode of former defensive coordinator, whether it was Rex Ryan or it was Eric Mangini. It just felt like – It was always kind of the same sort of hire. So I didn't hate Todd Bowles from the beginning, but I wanted something different when they made the coaching hire. Kind of feels a lot like, and I hate to say how Giant fans are probably going to feel heading into this offseason. No doubt. Gary Kubiak's kind of like the type of guy that Giants now, like a Mike McCarthy, something like that, instead of going with some retread coordinator or something like that, the hot commodity. Yeah, I think as a fan, you always want something different. The old joke in baseball is when you fire a manager, you're looking for the exact opposite personality. And for me, we were just so used to defensive-minded head coaches that – 
I wanted more of an offensive guy. And but but look, when they hired Ty Bowles, I was not screaming and yelling the way we were screaming and yelling about Adam Gase no. because Ty Bowles was not a proven failed head coach. Well, no, and and if I could take back to that moment, it's funny thinking back. I don't think that was a big and maybe Jet fans felt differently, but as a Giant fan from the outside looking in, I don't think that was a big uproar. Todd Bowles it was not wasn't just a jet hot commodity. That was a name that was out there for a lot of teams that year. Like he was gonna be the defense. He was one of the hot coaches, yes. yeah. Absolutely. So I don't think it was atrocious hire from the standpoint of out of nowhere. I mean, this was a guy that a lot of teams wanted. No, no, and, and that's why it was not a hire we were all panning. It was a hire of, okay, let's see what happens. Right. That's really what it came down to. Boy, but, did we. Well, it's typical. It started off great. Now, first of all, before we even get to the season of the 2015 Jets, uh, we have to address what happened in the preseason, and that was the Geno Smith era took a little bit of a hit. Because that was the training camp where he was punched in the face by I.K. Incompali. And, and it led to Ryan Fitzpatrick, 33-year-old Ryan Fitzpatrick, getting the opportunity to be the starting quarterback. Now, little did we know he would author, these are just the facts, Sean, one of the great offensive seasons in Jet history. <laughs> How sad is Those that? Those are the facts. I mean, that's the reality. The Jets were a top-10 offense. Fitzpatrick's final numbers that year. Can I just read them to you? Sure. I know it's the modern NFL, blah, blah, blah. Brandon Marshall on this team. Yes. 60% of his passes, he threw for 3,900 yards, 31 touchdowns, 15 interceptions. They had Chris Ivory, Bilal Powell running the football. And you talk about the receivers. It wasn't just Brandon Marshall. It was Brandon Marshall and Eric Decker. They had this incredible one-two punch of Marshall and Decker from Fitzpatrick. They had this big-time offense. They also brought back Darrell Revis, which was incredibly exciting because the trade of Darrell Revis was something that drove me nuts. It drove a lot of Jet fans nuts, though it was split. There were a lot of Jet fans who wanted to move Revis. They thought, well, he's complaining. He wants a new contract. He's damaged goods. I I never felt that way because I felt when you have a great player, you hold on to the great player. And we didn't spend a lot of time talking about this in the first part, but uh, we'll do a minute here. I hated the idea of trading Darrell Revis. I don't know how you felt as a Giant fan from afar, but I wanted to hold on to my great player. I was once again laughing at the Jets because I thought they should have held on to him too. And I'd be <laughs> hypocrit- I would be hypocritical if I said, oh, that's ridiculous, get rid of him, he's a headache, because I was the one screaming and yelling when the Giants traded Odell Beckham Jr. a couple of years later. Right. So, yeah, I felt the same way. You have talent. Whenever you talk about getting draft picks, the idea of getting draft picks is you can only hope to draft somebody as talented as a Darrell no Davis or an Odell Beckham Jr. So if you have that proven, and who cares if you're paying him, hold on to him. Absolutely. Draft picks are lottery tickets. And, you know, he ends up going to Tampa Bay. He ends up in New England, which obviously you couldn't plan. He wins a Super Bowl with the Patriots. But when they re-signed him before the 2015 season, I was ecstatic. But I wasn't delusional. I knew Darrell Revis was 30. I knew we weren't going to get the lockdown all-pro corner that we saw in the latter part of the previous decade. But I thought, hey, we can make good. He can finish his career here and hopefully give me three solid seasons. I thought he was fine in 2015. I thought he was fine. We'll, well get to week, the, but we'll get to week 17. He was fine. Well, yeah. But I just said I didn't expect right. him to be all-pro. Right. I get it. But still, fine when you think of Darrell Revis in a Jet uniform. 30. I know. He was 30. Like, what the hell was I supposed to expect? But didn't he feel like the kind of guy who was going to be Superman and play until, like, 35 at an elite level? That's kind of what I thought with Revis. Look, the disappointment in Revis is what happened the following year. I really thought, and week 17, and I think a lot of that was coaching, which we'll get to, because that's really the story of the 2015 Jets. I mean, you're talking about a top five Jet of all time. Yes. Oh, no question. No question. He's a Hall of Famer. Right. I mean, there's no doubt. In fact... You know, he was pre- – this is a tough debate for, for an older Jet fan. He was better at his job than Joe Namath was at his. Now, 
Joe Namath won a Super Bowl and he gave the guarantee, and I think that makes him more of a legend, but but Ingo would agree with that. Darrell Rivas was a better cornerback than Joe Namath was a quarterback. I think that's completely fair. That and that's it. Completely now, fair. The problem is, I think age 28, 29, being on Tampa, New England, you know, it kills. Right. So that's why bringing him back was it was an emotional thing, but I also thought it was a smart football thing. You know, even if he's not the all pro, he's still a pretty good cornerback. I did not think going into the year after Geno Smith got punched in the jaw <laughs> that Ryan Fitzpatrick would have the year he have. I mean, a typical Jet thing would be Geno gets punched in the jaw, that the Jets go 2-14. and 14, Right. Not Geno gets punched in the jaw, and Ryan Fitzpatrick has the best season of his career. That's not exactly what any of us thought. And this season started very, you know, averagely. They won their first two games, but they were a 5-5 five and five football team before they really picked it up late. And I want to jump to something that I know we may spend a little bit of time on, and that was the game they beat the Giants in, oh. which I think if the Jets make the playoffs and go on a run, we look more fondly back at that game. But Tom Coughlin was killed for some coaching decisions in that game, and it was a blown lead, which the Giants kind of did all the time in 2015. But that was a huge win as a Jet fan. It was in the midst of their five-game winning streak. And so, by the way, it basically killed the Giants season because yes, they had did. lost the week before to Washington. They were 5-6. and six. If the Giants win that game, they're 6-6, six and six, and you're starting to dream about 2011 again. That, that's why it's sort of this reverse 2011 game, but it's lost in the dustpan of history because the Jets didn't go anywhere. Right. You know what I mean? Like, right. If the Jets beat the Bills week 17, and I'm not saying they win a Super Bowl, but they go on a run. I think we look back at that Jet-Giant game as a bigger deal than we look at it I now. totally agree. Brandon Marshall killing them in overtime. Oh, oh. it was great. And uh, Josh, uh, I think it was Josh Brown, missed a big field goal in overtime. They had a 10-point lead in the fourth quarter. It was a great Jet victory. Just a great Brutal. Jet victory. And the Jets backed it up. They beat the Titans. They beat the Cowboys. And then they beat the freaking Patriots in overtime. They were set up. They were 10-5. and five. They were a win away from going to the postseason in the first year of the Todd Bowles era. Ryan Fitzpatrick, Brandon Marshall finally get to experience the postseason. And before we get into this game, I had debated. Not a debate. More like a going. discussion with my wife about going. And, you know, because previously when I had done these trips with Joe, you know, I was single. So it was just, I'm going. Now I've got this wonderful woman in my life. I wanted her to be a part of it. And I said, how do you want to handle it? And her answer was, I'll go, but I'm not going to go to the game because it's going to be eight degrees out. It's in Buffalo. So I'll stay in the hotel and everything like that. You come back and check in with me after. <laughs> yes. And so I thought about it. And at the last second, I said, I just don't think it's a good idea. Not necessarily because of her, but my attitude was, and I can't believe I'm admitting this, we'll go to the playoffs. Oh, but yeah. you know what, though? I don't hate that mentality because if the plan to go is to see them get to the playoffs, then why not just go to the playoff game? Because it's almost like hedging your bet. Yeah. Because if, if you win the game, you're guaranteed to go to the playoff game. And if you lost, well, then you don't regret not going because you lost. Exactly. exactly. And you know what killed him in this game besides Darrell Rivas playing, you know, 50 feet basically off Sammy Watkins? Oh. You know what killed him? Ryan Fitzpatrick throwing three interceptions. All that's true. You know what killed him? Bilal Powell being hurt. That right. was an absolute killer in this football Took game. Took away everything they had going with the screen game, which yep. was soft defense. And Chris Ivory barely got the football in his hands after a 1,000-yard rushing season. They overly relied on Ryan Fitzpatrick. He threw three interceptions. And obviously the other aspect here is this was a Rex Ryan revenge game. Rex is now the coach of the Buffalo Bills. The I, only game he won that mattered as a Bills coach. <laughs> yes. And I tell you, he's a fan. I didn't think that much of it going in. Like, I – Rex was a good Jet. I didn't have any bitterness towards him. Was I afraid they were going to lose this game? Was I afraid Rex Ryan was going to have this team fired up? A little bit, but I think I would have been afraid against anybody. It's week 17. It's basically a playoff game. It's on the road. It's a divisional rival. Fitzpatrick's never experienced the sweet nectar of the postseason. 
But this game was the closest the Jets have played to a postseason game since they were actually in the postseason. So sad. That is so sad. Is it? That you needed a Ryan Fitzpatrick here after your quarterback got knocked out by another player to get you the closest thing you've gotten to the playoffs only to blow it in Week 17. Look, in fairness to Fitzpatrick and Brandon Marshall, they both had outstanding seasons. Right. The problem is I define this year, and I think all Jet fans do, by what happened in Week 17. So a 10-win season is normally a good year. A 32-33 touchdown season where you almost over 4,000 yards is a very good season, best year of his career. That season is defined by the memories of Bilal Powell, Chris Ivory, Fitzpatrick's brutal interceptions, and Revis giving Sammy Watkins way too much space, and the Jets losing to Rex Ryan and the Buffalo Bills. And what's their record since? Like, seriously, think about this. No double-digit wins, that's for sure. Double-digit wins. Double-digit wins. They won five games, five games, four games, and whatever ends this season. That's what they've done since. What a fall. What a fall. That season's got to feel a lot like the 2010 Giants, only 2010 Giants backed it up with a 2011 run. Well, then it doesn't feel like the 2010 2010 Giants. You win 10 games. You're expecting (laughs) to get to the playoffs, but the way it unfolds, trying to get your 11th win. You know what I mean? Yeah, you you know what was really You still hit the marker that should have gotten you into a playoff. No doubt. 10 wins should get you there. Nine is iffy. 10 should get you there. What was very concerning is that you knew this was Fitzpatrick's career season. Is he the future? Do you give Geno Smith an opportunity? Ryan Fitzpatrick, remember, held out for a while over a new contract, so that was a big issue going into the following season. But what was concerning moving forward after that year is, well, who's my quarterback moving forward? Like, I know Ryan Fitzpatrick's 33. It's not like he's 40, but is that my guy? Do I trust him? And so it was a very uncertain offseason after 2015. Uh, for your franchise, I think this was a really, really interesting moment. Victor Cruz has his brutal injury in 2014. Odell Beckham Jr. bursts onto the scene. And your offseason is marred or defined by these two things. You draft Eric Flowers in the first round, which I'm sure you were thrilled about because you were getting an offensive lineman. Jokes aside, you right. don't know this at the time. Right. No, I wanted Brandon Scherf and the Redskins no, shocked everybody and, and got him in the top five. He was supposed to fall back. Right. That's who you wanted? That's who I wanted. Oh, my God. That's who I wanted. Oh, my God. That was uh, – and the Redskins took him way higher than anybody thought, and then the Giants were left holding the pot, waiting for whatever offensive lineman they could figure out at uh-huh. that point. Now, in the defense of Jerry Reese, in the second round, you guys drafted Landon Collins. That's true. Okay? That's true. Just want to point that Traded out. Traded up with the Titans. Right. No, absolutely. And he had a pretty good Giant career. You guys bring back Steve Spagnola, which I'm sure brought some emotion to you. I was pumped about Spags coming back. But then here's the big story of the offseason. You remember – you remember what the big thing of the offseason was? The big thing of the 2015 offseason. I don't. JPP, the fireworks. Oh, that was the year of the yeah. fireworks. The fireworks. That's right. That was a miserable 4th of July. That, that was... did start the season in a sour way. No doubt. And, and JPP, JPP had a really interesting giant career. And I don't think his career should ever be defined by this firework accident. He was a guy who had such promise in his first two years where you thought he is an elite defensive player. He is a defensive player of the year candidate, year in and year out. And his career kind of, it's not bad. It just kind of never fulfilled what I think those early expectations no, were. No, but because of 2011, he still always, yeah. should always come back. But yeah, it'd be kind of like Plaxico shooting himself in that he just wrecked things. Yes. And that was the end of it. Ironically, JPP makes his debut that year week, I believe it was week nine, Versus, do you know who he made his debut against? Who was that? The Tampa Bay Bucks. The team he ended up with after. <laughs> little, did, little did we know. Playing with what looked like an oven mitt later yeah, on. Yeah, he comes back with this oven mitt. He ends up playing eight games. Only had one sack. I mean, right. clearly 
you know, you give him credit that he was able to come back considering how dangerous that incident was. But that really did change his giant career here. I, I hope he's not defined by that. I don't think he is. How do you define JPP? Uh, I define JPP as a champion, as a guy who 2011 blocked a field goal and absolutely wreaked havoc. And for me, he'll always be a loyal New York Giants Super Bowl champion. So the Giants going to 2015. I think Tom Coughlin is sort of on the hot seat, which seemed to be a common thing. But again, we were tricked into expectations. Right. Like we thought Odell Beckham after what we saw, Eli's still a lot in the tank. Things are going to get going here. JPP, okay, it's a little bit of a hiccup. We're starting to maybe draft right on the offensive line, Pew and, and Flowers. I think you're fired up. Also, Will, so you're optimistic? I'm optimistic, and Will Beatty got hurt that year. Will Beatty was supposed to be our left tackle, Flowers our right tackle. Right. Got hurt in our weight training Yeah, the, uh, tri- uh, right. the bicep injury. Right. To me, that was more of a defining moment than JPP from the standpoint of that forced a rookie in Eric Flowers to go to left tackle, and I right. think that's what really spiraled this season. So th- it was a weird season because they got off to a, a halfway decent start. They were 3-2. and two. They were 5-4. and four. You mentioned what their record was, 5-6 and six going into the Jet game. They ended up collapsing and winning six games, but Week one, they play a Sunday night game against the Cowboys. Sounds weird, right? When would they ever play a Sunday night game to open the season against the Dallas Cowboys? And they blew a lead in that game. And that really started to define you were in Dallas? That was was my road trip that year. I was in Dallas. The last two minutes of that game were, you know, Giants to score a touchdown, waving bye to fans. (laughs) Boy, it was had a rough walkout for me. Well, yeah, I mean, you guys Beer bottles fired at me walking (laughs) through a Walmart that's in the parking lot of the Cowboys Stadium. Oh, Jason man. Witten beating the Giants. Jason Shocking. Witten with seven seconds to go. Do you know who was covering Jason Witten on who, that final touchdown? Who was that? A man by the name of Uwani Unga. <laughs> That's funny you remember that. Yes. Did that 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 game and that blown lead kind of define what 2015 would be? There would be a lot of blown leads, which I think ultimately led to Tom Coughlin losing his job. Yeah, well, I think ultimately what led to Tom Coughlin losing is his the Carolina game. Carolina game, right? game which yeah. I'm sure you were about to get to, which yep. Is one of the wildest games, I think, in the last 20 years of New York Giant history. They're down. They come all the way back. The Beckham and Norman, then they blow it at the end. Uh, just unbelievable. But to me, just the unraveling and losing control of Beckham that day, on top of the fact that you fought back only to lost, I think was the nail in the yeah, it, Coughlin coffin. The season was defined by their record is, you know, pick wherever where it was in the middle of the season. They're 5-4, and four, but they should be better because right. they blew so many games. They blew a game against the Patriots at MetLife Stadium. We mentioned week one against the Cowboys. We talked about the Jet-Giant game. Like, this whole season was about having leads, sometimes double-digit right. leads in the fourth quarter, and blowing them. In a mediocre NFC East, by the way. They yeah. were still in that division late despite that bad record in December. So much so that they flexed Week 16 against the Vikings to Sunday night football despite the Giants only being 6-7. And, seven and at they the got of the crushed flexing. that day. Yeah. They yeah got, well, that was the Beckham suspension game. Right. And, and so the week before was the Carolina game. That is a, a vivid memory in Odell Beckham Jr.'s history as a Giant. And even, like you said, the end of Tom Coughlin. Uh, that was a huge topic here after it happened. Odell lost control. I mean, Josh Norman got in his head. There's no doubt. And I think it did make Tom look very, very bad after that. Here's this disciplinarian that Tom Coughlin is, even to this day, and basically cost him his job in Jacksonville. And he just didn't do enough in the eyes of many Giant fans to to kind of stop Odell Beckham Jr. and say, what the hell are you doing? I remember us saying on Monday, you had to take him out of the game. You had to do something. Yeah, and Ben McAdoo was of no help as the offensive coordinator trying to discipline him at all either. Yeah, well, that was supposed to be the guy to grab him under the shoulder. You know, Coughlin was worried about everything else. You know, one thing about Ben McAdoo, because he's about to become prominent in this podcast, (laughs) he's the offensive coordinator for the last two years. And one thing is, statistically, okay, Eli Manning's numbers 
are as good as they've ever been. Yeah, he's got Eli getting the ball out fast. Did that mean anything to you, even though the wins weren't there? Uh, yes, it did. Okay. I liked Ben McAdoo as an offensive coordinator. I really did. No, I, I mean, look. Uh, I was in love with Ben McAdoo. You were in love with him? Yes. Did you want him to Full be the head coach? love, as Dave Gettleman would it, say. Here's the thing. If you go to pro football reference and you look at Eli Manning's career, and a lot of people are going to do that for the next eight years as the Hall of Fame debate goes on, statistically, the two best years of Eli Manning's career, statistically, unfortunately, are six and ten seasons with Ben McAdoo as the offensive coordinator. Yeah, and any Eli protector will point to the offensive line as to why they were six and ten and say Eli did that all of that despite the offensive line, which I think could be fair as well. Yeah, okay. It's, yeah. It's just it's also a reminder that stats in the NFL, while important, are not the end all be all because the following season the Giants are gonna make the playoffs and Eli's stats are not gonna be as good right. as they were the two previous right. years. It just shows you that stats matter, but they can be a little misleading. I mean, the two best statistical years of Eli Manning's career, a potential Hall of Famer, a guy I think is a Hall of Famer, happened in years in which they went a combined twelve and twenty. It's crazy to think about. You're right though. Stats don't tell at all. But boy, oh boy, Ben McAdoo with the head coach. Is that what we're turning to here? We're going to get there. I okay. mean, we're not there yet. But... Oh, okay, we're going to finish off the year here? Oh, the Coughlin ousting? <laughs> well, the, 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 the ousting of Tom Coughlin. They obviously finished 6-10. and 10. I I remember at the time thinking, ah. Do, wait, by the way, do you know who beat them in Week 17? Uh, Philadelphia, was it? Do you know who the head coach of the Philadelphia Eagles was? Beat Tom Coughlin his last game? What's his name? Chip Kelly. Pat Shermer. Chip Kelly was fired oh, a week really? earlier. So Shermer was the interim head coach? Shermer was the interim head <laughs> coach week one. 17 in Coughlin's last game, beat Coughlin. How about that for a little while? That irony? is really good. That is really, really good. See, you're doing my homework here on That's the podcast. Good. Oh, I thought you remembered that. Uh, I sort of did, but I went back and I wanted to double check before dropping that nugget. I was waiting for it. One thing I've noticed about doing these podcasts is uh, you go back, you see things, and you knew it, but it reminds you. You know what I mean? Like, right. You know it. We've experienced the decade. It's not like we just got here. You know? Right. But it kind of reminds you. Was it time for Tom Coughlin to go? Yes. Yes, it you was. You were in favor of getting rid of him. I was. Now, look, I, I stated on part one, and I'll say it again. I felt as if 2007, before even 2011, should have earned Coughlin a lifetime contract. But then you realize people get older, things change. And I thought the, the game and the way the NFL was trending, and I still believe this, the time had come to let Tom Coughlin go. And, uh, frankly, I, I think they were just going to be treading water without him. It was just a matter of hiring the right guy to replace him. And you wanted Ben McAdoo. So much so that if you remember when the reports came out that the Eagles were calling Ben McAdoo in for a second time and they probably were going to hire him, I was frantically panicked. I had visions of losing Steve Smith to the Eagles all over in my head. And I'm thinking, Eli's got these numbers with McAdoo. This is clearly the guy. We brought him here to groom him to be the next head coach from Green Bay. You can't let him go coach the freaking Eagles now and have him beat us with the Eagles. Right. I was having anxiety. That was your fear. Yes, that we never beat the Eagles anyway. And now Ben McAdoo's going to go beat him, and then we're going to get stuck with who? With Spags coaching the team after he couldn't coach the Rams? I was in an utter panic that we were going to lose Ben McAdoo to head coach in the Eagles. Wow. Well, look, I mean, we, we went through it. Eli Manning had his best success right. with Ben McAdoo as head coach. And I don't think that's how it or outrageous as at the time. I don't no, think I don't that's think it, I don't think it was either because the fear was, okay, if you hire a brand-new head coach and it's not Ben McAdoo, now Eli's in a brand-new system, right. in agree. a system that he had success in. And the clock ticking on Eli, by the way. Again, how many new systems do you want him learning at this age? Is that Right, other? right. I, I was mixed because I still thought Tom Coughlin could coach in this league. And when you win two Super Bowls in this town, 
I don't know. I mean, you probably should get more time than Rex Ryan. You know, with Rex Ryan, I'm talking about two title game appearances. With Tom Coughlin, you're talking about two championships. You know the other thing with Coughlin, though, and how you knew it was time to end? Tom Coughlin had this, like, crazy record when it comes to challenging. He was the guy who, if he challenged something, you knew he had it right. Those last two years, it was like Coughlin couldn't get a challenge right. And that, to me, was like the big, like, that was the thing he did really? best. I that was your warning sign no, with him? but I think it was just one of the warning signs. That's something in the in-game, like, the, Tom Coughlin in-game started to really lose his fastball. I really feared for that. Uh, in 2016, the New York Jets have finally decided to re-sign Ryan Fitzpatrick. There was quite a battle between the Jets and Fitzpatrick on a brand-new contract. He was coming off a great year. It was one of the great offensive seasons in New York football Jet history. They're coming off a season in which they won 10 games. We're obviously bitter. We're obviously disappointed about the ending. But there is some hope, at least. All right? Brandon Marshall, Eric Decker. They actually brought in Matt Forte. Let's go. Let's see what happens. Is this the year a team other than the Patriots wins the AFC East? (laughs) I I will admit this. I was not overly optimistic coming into the season because I think there was this sense that there was a lot of flukiness about 2015. Right, and I think a lot of people were sensible about Ryan Fitzpatrick in that you had to sign him, but you kind of felt like this would be that was the best you ever got. Joe and I debated this. We were on different sides in the importance of signing Ryan Fitzpatrick. I don't think you remember, so I'll ask you, what side do you think Joe was on? And what side do you think I was on on the importance of signing Ryan Fitzpatrick? One of us was, you got to bring this guy back. The other one was, ah, let's see Gino. Who was I, who? I believe Joe wanted to see Gino. You wanted to bring Fitzpatrick You nailed back. it. That's exactly okay. what it was. Joe was not as afraid of letting Fitzpatrick go. Well, Joe strikes me as, I want the younger franchise quarterback that I could have for the next decade, 15 years. Which is funny because I'm the younger guy who would right. be more thinking about the future. Right. I wasn't sold on Geno Smith. I was concerned about what happened the year before him. He got punched in the face for a reason. He had something to do with it. <laughs> I hate to say that. Yeah, right. Nobody gets punched in the face without probable well, cause. No, the story had come out right. that he had something to do with it. Right. I wasn't just assuming. Skipping out on charity events or right. whatever he was doing. And I think there was at least a gl- Again, I wasn't confident, but there was this hope of oh, maybe Ryan Fitzpatrick's put it all together. Oh, Rich Gannon. He's Rich Gannon. He's Rich Gannon. That's always the example you want to use. The season opened on September 11th, 2016. A very special day because my son was born that morning. So it was week one. We naming him Jet. I am in the hospital watching Jets Bengals. That that was my experience. And I remember emailing Terry, not Joe, because he doesn't know email, saying, just want to let you know, Jet was born. My son was born. We've named him Jet. Because I didn't tell anybody that that was the plan of attack. And she writes back and says, Joe is so confident now about this game because Jet was born for this Jet Bengal game. You know, so Joe is now brimming with confidence. We're going to win, bro. M just had a kitty named him Jet. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it's got to be a good sign, right? It's got to be a good sign. It was not a good sign. They lost to the Cincinnati Bengals and they lost on a Mike. Nugent, game-winning field goal with less than a minute to go. Mike Nugent, he just turns up like a bad penny. (laughs) (laughs) No question. So it was certainly a very disappointing way to start the year, but 2016 was really defined by the locker room. It was defined by uh, the defense hating the offense between Brandon Marshall versus Darrell Rivas, between Muhammad Wilkerson. I, I forget if this was the year where he was late, but bottom line was the locker room dysfunction started to define year two they had this brutal game against the Chiefs where they turned the ball over eight times. Oh, my goodness. They lost five games in a row, and it was one of those seasons that was essentially over early on, and it turned Over in. by Halloween. You knew they were dead by Halloween. Yeah. They were, they were, they were falling apart. 
and the locker room stuff was a big problem. And that was the first warning sign to Joe, to Joe, that Todd Bowles was not the right head coach for this team. Um, I give Joe credit because people yeah. get on him for crushing, you know, oh, we got to fire this guy, we got to get rid of this guy. I think in listening to Joe all these years, and you break it down after the fact, and you remember what Joe said in the moment, Joe's a lot more logical than people think. No, I, he gets a – people don't understand Joe as well as they right. should. I agree. This idea is always negative. Really? Before both title games, he was telling me we're going to the Super right. Bowl, bro. I was the one saying, no, we're not. Right. So he is – when things are going well, he's more optimistic. Right. He's negative after the colossal disaster loss that we've seen way too much of since Joe and you have been together. No question. No question. And as far as head coaches are concerned – out of the gate, he knew Mangini sucked. I'm telling you, it was there was a game after a win uh, in New England when Matt Castle was the quarterback. Jets won on a Thursday night. Jets won the game in overtime. We are driving back from Foxborough. Bro, he is not the right coach for this team. They end up collapsing at the end of the year. That was the Brett Favre year. Mangini's gone. Joe turned out to be right. But with Rex, he was always loyal. I don't think he ever wanted to fire Rex Ryan. It's crazy to think you guys were together for the Brett Favre jet year. That's a long oh, been, time. We've been together for a while, man. It's <laughs> a long time. <laughs> 13 years, bro. It's a long, long it's a time. a long time. But with Bo- so with Mangini, he knew early on, not the right guy. With Rex, always loved him. Even today. You ask Joe Beningo today about Rex Ryan, he'll say they shouldn't have fired him. He'll say it. Loved Rex Ryan. With Todd Bowles. It may have been even the Kansas City game, or maybe it was the Seattle game. One of those games early on, when he noticed what was going on in that locker room, this is not the right guy for the job. And that's early. This is after a 10-win season. Because the problem was, with a lot of the other coaches who made their first year a success, Eric Mangini, they made the playoffs. Rex Ryan, obviously, the title game. This guy didn't make the playoffs. And even though 10 wins should be enough, they lost Week 17. They lost their playoff game to get in. Right. To a game, to a team playing for nothing. Yes. Now the other thing is, Darrell Reeves sucked. I'll tell you that right now. I thought he was fine in 2015. He was not fine in 2016. And not even sucked. There's so many moments from that 2016 Jet season where you got the feeling Revis wasn't even trying. Yeah. That's how bad he was. It was it was like that, just effort embarrassing. That was the perception. You know, Geno Smith couldn't stay healthy. Bryce Petty actually got starts late right. in the season because. And this I is believe a, Bryce Petty, ironically, beat Colin Kaepernick later that year. Yeah, he did get a win, and that yes. was a game against the Niners. That was the one game they won. Well, they won two games, really, in the last 10 weeks of the season, and that was one of them. So Bryce Petty did have, you know, a moment. But funny thing I always think of about Bryce Petty and Greg McElroy, guys like that, those are the let's see what we have right. games. Right. Let's just see. We know this guy's probably not the answer, but maybe he's our Tom Brady. Right. That's always the joke. Maybe diamond in a rough. Right. <laughs> right. But it was a lost season. They went 5-11. and 11. Uh, I was not ready to fire Todd Bowles. I, I'm, Joe was ready to do it right there. He was ready to do it after the second year. Get rid of this guy. Boy, it's interesting because they didn't fire Todd Bowles right after that season. But I... I mean, probably now's not the time to research. I wonder what the hot head coaching candidates were that got hired that year. It's a year. great question. Because if, if one of them is hit and has been success, and <laughs> that could have been the Jet coach, it's even more of a reason to look back and go, wow, Joe had this right. Yeah, well, I, I don't know who he would have wanted. Obviously, eventually it turned out to be Mike right. McCarthy. But you're right. This is three years earlier. I'm not sure who it would have been. I'm not sure. Yeah. Ben McAdoo's the head coach of your football team. Let's go. And what were your expectations? Uh, I was already angry with people at the uh, introductory press conference caring what kind of suit he had. That was a that, big deal. That was yes. a big story. 
Uh, I was expecting a big year. I thought this offense would really put it together. I was a little weary of him calling plays, but I said, you know what? He's got to figure it out. He's learned under Coughlin. He's learned under McCarthy. This is the perfect guy to do it. Beckham is going to own this year. And I was expecting big-time, big-time things uh, from the Giant team, so much so that I booked my road trip preseason <laughs> for late November against the Browns, thinking, well, no matter what, we're going to beat the Browns, but we'll probably be celebrating playoffs around that time. Wow. So you went, and, and remember, this was a very active offseason. Right. Because they went out and they made a lot of free agent signings. Short Olivier up that Vernon, defense. Yep. Snacks Harrison. And that relates to the Jets because uh, Joe and I were wrong about this. We both wanted the Jets to extend Muhammad Wilkerson. And we were okay with letting Snacks Harrison go. That was just a huge mistake. And and not only that. I mean, Snacks was going to show up, the, obviously, the, the run game and, and Vernon the pass rush. But, see, everybody's focused on the defense offensively. Everybody forgets something we had been longing for for the Giants for two years that we were finally about to see. And that was Victor Cruz playing with Odell Beckham Jr. It was going to happen. Now, you weren't concerned. I mean, the guy had missed a year what he was going to be. I was living in the clouds. I thought Victor Cruz would go back to being old Victor Cruz and that he'd worked hard because he had done that Showtime documentary right, right. about coming back. I was like, nobody works harder than Victor Cruz coming back. And it was the idea that we're finally going to have both of these number one wide receivers on the field. And Ben McAdoo's the head coach with this innovative offense. We are going to tear up the league offensively. You guys started the season off again. I'm in the hospital watching this game. And my big Not memory, on Sunday night. Actually, it was, it late, was a afternoon. late afternoon. You're right. You're right. You're right. I remember being very tired trying to get through that game because, believe it or not, I was going to come to work the next day. I mean, it is week one of the season. It's a Monday. It's what I'm dealing with right now. My wife could get labor in the middle of this podcast. <laughs> I don't know if I'm going to come to work tomorrow. <laughs> Look, you should take the days. Uh, my wife was very supportive. The reason I came to work is I'm with her at a hospital in New York City. Okay, that's where Jet was born. I do a three-hour radio show. I said, I'm literally going to go do a show, come right back to the hospital. And she's like, yeah, it's not a big deal. Are you going to just sit here and stare at me? Right. You know, for all these hours. So, Oh, it, it sounds like you have, like, the best wife ever. But. She's a very good wife. Yes. yes. I love her. Very supportive, very supportive. of everything. I, look, I, I think with a second kid, the circumstances may be different. Right. But, I, again, lay out the circumstances. I'm in a hospital in New York City. A 20-minute ride away from work. Right. It's week one of the NFL season. I ended up taking the Wednesday off. I worked Monday and Tuesday. Took the Wednesday off to bring Jet back home. Okay. And that was the that was the one paternity day I took. I took one paternity. You're ridiculous. Day. Am ridiculous. I? I mean, <laughs> so who who is the guy that wouldn't go out of bounds in the Cowboy game? Because that's why you won 20 to 19. Do you remember the uh, guy in the Cowboys wouldn't go out of bounds? I don't actually. I don't remember that from that game. You don't remember that? I don't. I remember Victor Cruz scoring and everybody doing yep. the salsa. You're up 20 to 19. I don't remember a bad part of that game from the Cowboys. Oh man, that's... Terrence Williams. You're right. Wouldn't go out of bounds. Clock kept ticking. And they couldn't get the field goal team on or something like that. Wow, I completely forgot about that. Now I, f I don't feel worthy enough to do this podcast. Stop it. I'm pulling Uwani Unga <laughs> out from years earlier. I can't forget. Listen, we all remember and forget right. different things. Guys are two and three. At right. that point, because you lost three in a row, Redskins, Vikings, Packers. Eric Flowers fighting Jordan Renan. That's if you remember right. after the Packer game in Lambeau, yeah. two and three, things had started to felt, felt like they were falling apart. And then that next week, Baltimore Ravens, I am in the building. That, to me, is the game of the year. Really? Do you remember what happened in that game? Tell me. Okay. Giants are are basically tired or maybe up a little bit. Dominique rogers Cromartie gets called for one of the most outrageous pass interference calls before since that NFC Championship game to the Saints and Rams. Ravens end up scoring right after that. People are ready to throw stuff on the field. Yep. Odell Beckham Jr. takes a slant to the house. That's right. Scores a touchdown. Rips off his helmet in the goal line. Just starts going nuts, screaming. I'm sitting in the front row. 
right when he scores. Best tickets I ever had to a game going nuts. Giants end up holding him on the fall position. Odell Beckham Jr. on one slant saved the entire season after getting robbed by the refs. You know, you look at this season. The New York football Giants that season never scored 30 points in a game. No, they were 26th ranked offense. 26th ranked offense. They were the second ranked defense. That's why they won 11 games. Right. Their offense consisted of what you just described. That's what I remember about the 2016 Giants. Had they score points, a slant to Odell, and he takes it to the house. Right. That's their offense. The Cowboy game later in that year on Sunday night was, I think they won a game 10-7. Yeah. Janoris Jenkins had a great game, but it was all about Odell Beckham Jr. took one pass to the house, and that's how they beat that the Cowboys. That was Cowboy. it. And, right. and the other thing that was so remarkable about that season, and obviously the defense was outstanding, you know, whatever stat you want to look at, they were great, is how Jerry Reese in year one hit on all of these free agents. Right. All of them. Janoris Jenkins, who had his best year as a Giant. Olivier Vernon. Best year as a Snacks Giant. Max Harrison. Yeah. I think they all had their best year as a awesome. Giant. They were absolutely That's awesome. That's not normal, though. No, it's not. But that was the one thing where I remember turning to friends and going, see, you could really build your team through free agency. Don't listen to <laughs> what anybody has to say. Well, you know what? In the short term, I guess right? you can. Right. What's your confidence level going into your first postseason game since the Super Bowl run? Because I know for me and Joe, before that game against Green Bay, we, we talked about this on the air. We were going to make a big bet on the Giants going all the way because we, we were used to it. They made right. a run in seven. They made a run in 11. They've beaten the Packers twice during these runs. Also, if you remember what they did in week 17, they took a page out of the 2007 Giants. They had nothing to play for. Redskins playing for a wild card And they spot. played hard. They played hard, and they knocked Kirk Cousins and the Redskins out of the playoffs. They had to 11 wins. I was all on board. I thought they were going to Lambeau. Listen, all I knew as a Giant fan lately was we go to Lambeau, we win playoff games. Yeah. So and, and why I, didn't I think we were going to win that game? And Joe and I certainly thought that. I, I think Ernie, to give him credit, was the one saying, dude, guys, calm down. This is, It doesn't happen every time to the Giants. Is that true, Ernie? Do you remember that? Ernie's, by the way, like in and out of this thing. Eating oatmeal and oranges here. When the Giants doing. made the playoffs in 2016 and they went 11 games, do you remember Joe and I saying we got to place a big bet on them going on a run because they're the Giants? And oh, yeah, lying. and I didn't. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I'm confirming. Yeah. No, I didn't. I, I could not root for them. I had to root against them. <laughs> Well, that was the big part of it. Too. Yeah, well, I was still burned by this guy hating on Rex Ryan and the Jets and well, Sanchez and all that. To. So screw you, screw the Giants, screw Eli and all them. And uh, hey, I was not up. rooting for and, you. And you turned out to be right. And this whole thing was, I think, a giant hater's dream. Because think about everything that, that transpired. You had hope. You're up 6 nothing in this game. It's a 7-6 game. It's a close right. game. The Hail Mary at the end of the first oh. half was a absolute... Killer turns a 7-6 game into a 14-6 game. Absolute momentum-changing play that should haunt you from this game. And the irony that we did this to the Packers in 2011 with Hakeem Nix. That's when you knew you were screwed. Right. And that see, that's where I knew we were losing the game because I said, how can I, in a right mind frame, think in 2011, I knew we were winning the game when Hakeem Nix caught that Hail Mary. Now it happens against us in Green Bay. You know you're losing the game. You that know was it. it. You know that it. was it. Do, do you remember, because I think what defines this postseason game, the last postseason game in New York football, which is sickening, is the boat. That's what the defines trip, it. of course. Do you remember when that came out? Did that come out before the game or yes, after the did. game? You know, it came so out we were talking game. about it before the game. Oh, it was a game. big talk on the pregame shows and everything like that. Okay. I that was like a week before, yeah, if I remember correctly. I, I want to say the photo came out the Wednesday before the game. What did I want to say. I, I hate to say this. I don't even remember what Joe and I were saying about it. I, I think, you know what, did, I probably... Did, there was a lot of people saying, not a big deal. These guys can get away for a day. Knowing, like, knowing myself, 
what I probably said is the same. I use this line a lot. History is written by the winners. If right. they win the game, who cares? And if they lose the game, this is going to be the biggest deal ever. That's uh, if I remember correctly, I you guys were on the on that. Yes, they have to win this game. And if they lose this game, it's going to look awful, especially yes. if Odell has a bad game. Yeah, and Odell had a big and drop in this game. See, I kept reminding Giant fans, because I was annoyed by it, and I'm the biggest Odell defender. I was annoyed that Victor Cruz allowed the Giants because I looked at him as more of a right. leader. But I also looked at it as how many Giant fans in 2007 – were the first ones to kill Tony Romo for going to Cabo before that playoff game with the Giants. And when the Giants won, see, this is why you don't go to Cabo. Right. Then those same hypocrites on the boat trip, or you can't challenge people's days off. Let them go do whatever they yeah, want. Yeah, it I mean, is a little on. hypocritical. Hey, but Cowboys, Giants, you got to win the game. Exactly. I mean, no, that really is what it, it, that's what it comes and down to. And he warmed up on the field in Lambo with the shirts yeah, off. Do you remember that? I oh, do. Everything about that game rubs me the wrong way looking back. <laughs> well, especially since you haven't been back since. Right. You haven't had a 500 season since. That's when... I think a lot of fans started to turn on Odell because even though you're smart, I think you have a reason take saying, hey, I put this on Victor Cruz because I remember saying the same thing now after the fact. He's hey, the leader. He's Victor's the veteran. the leader. What's going on? But I think Odell be- it was the face of the team. Despite the defense being the strength of the team, Odell was the offense. He really was. Like we talked about, slant to the house. That's the giant offense. And I think too many players were infatuated with his celebrity. They wanted to be around Odell, the person. So if Odell says, hey, we're going to go on a boat to Miami, it's one of those, we're going on a boat to Miami because we want to be with Odell living the celebrity life. I've told you after a lot of playoff losses, my fear is I'm never getting back. Were you confident thinking, all right, we'll be back. I like Ben McAdoo. We won 11 games. We have this big-time defense. Let's go. I picked him for the Super Bowl the next year. <laughs> I absolutely did. I said we went, did? To, we went to the playoffs. Ben McAdoo's the real. I wanted McAdoo to be a head coach. The first year he's a head coach, we won 11 games. Uh, the offensive, Eric Flowers is going to get better. Here we go. We're going to the Super Bowl this year. Let's regroup. Let's go. I was wrong. Oh, man. As we oh, mentioned, man. the drug portions of this. So, in 2017, the Jets are tanking. <laughs> There's no question. The New York Jets are tanking because the quarterback for this team now is a fellow by the name of Josh McCown. Bryce Petty is the backup. Josh McCown is 38 years old. What a quarterback room. What? Well, because they were tanking to get the quarterback. Right. And so the debate Joe and I had was, do you get rid of Todd Bowles now? Because, look, they're not going to win a lot of games. All right? Best case scenario was what they ended up doing. They ended up winning five games, which I was stunned by. Right. I thought they were going 1-15. You know, I thought – or 0-16. I thought that was very, very possible. Yeah, they had such a bad team on paper. Of course they did. Who they was were the, who tanking. Was the, who was the quarterback coming out? Was it Darnold? It was Sam Darnold. We're already up to that. Okay. I was trying to think, <laughs> did they end up – well, dude, this is a long decade. I'm thinking to myself, wait, was Darnold the next year? Yes. And they, they – okay. All right. Yeah, no, we're – think about it. This is 2019. I think you're about Darnold. to set me up that they were going to take a defensive player when all was said and done. <laughs> we're up to Darnold? Right. Think about this. Let's just go backwards. It's 2019, right? Right. Last year was 2018. Sam's yeah. rookie year. Sam and Barkley. We're right. talking about 2017 You're now. right. So that sets up the Sam drift. Wow. <laughs> Boy, so, we finally got here. Huh? Yeah. <laughs> we made it. Right. So they are tanking. Joe says, "Just get." I've told you, you want Bowles out. Get rid of Bowles. He lost the locker room. He told, I know it's only been two years. He's that bad. Get rid of him. Here was my counter to him. Not a defense of Todd Bowles. You bring in a young coach. You are tanking. Right. How are you going to feel? And I know it's what the Dolphins did, but how are you going to feel about this said new head coach when they go 2-14? and 14? Well, I'll be patient. I'll be more patient with him than, than Todd. And I said, I don't know if you will be. I don't know if it's fair to this new coach to bring him in in a year in which you are purposely trying to lose because that is the perception we had as fans based on the roster that was put together. They weren't really trying to win. And and I would also counter that and use the Dolphins as an example. A young head coach, 
look, that may revitalize the team, you might fool your way into one or two wins you didn't think you were going to have and play yourself out of that top quarterback. I mean, look at the Dolphins right now. Yeah. It, you know, as we talk about heading into 2019, they're not going to have a top three pick in well, all likelihood. Well, Morash, spoiler alert, that's what happened. Right, okay. They ended up winning five games. They picked sixth in this draft. So, Coming into the season, I already forgot they traded up for Darnold. I already <laughs> forgot. <laughs> so coming into the season, I'm thinking one or two wins. Seriously, Joey's every day. Bet the over, bro. Bet the over, bro. Bet the over, bro. Joe was right, by the way. I mean, they they won five games. What really led to it is week three, four, and five. They played the Dolphins at home, the Jaguars at home, and at Cleveland. They had three very soft games. Now, as bad as the Jets are, I still thought they would lose most of them. Right. Maybe two of them. Maybe the one win would come in it. They won all three. This was a three-and-two team going into a game against the Patriots, which led to this huge debate between – it was a civil war of Jet fans. The tanking Jet fans, Ernie Acosta, Brandon Tierney. I'll use BT as an example. They actively wanted the Jets to lose to get Sam Darnold. Period. I never wanted them to lose. A same way when the Nets lost 70 games. We share our net fandom. Right. I never sit there and root for my team to lose. It's crazy. So at three and two, it feels dirty. It does feel dirty. Because I'm doing it right now, and it feels you dirty. You are doing it. I because <sighs> I want I want the franchise changing pass rusher now. I have the quarterback, and I know that the team's not going anywhere to me. And it's the idea of the team in my division. Okay, and we'll get to that. Couple of things about that. You are doing that in December. This is October. No, I got. I still got a root for hope in October. And I and I had heated debates with Jet fans. They're three and two. They're playing the Patriots. And Ernie would say to me, or Jet fans would say to me. Well, what do you think is going to happen? What do you think they can make the playoffs with Josh McCown? And my answer is, why not? It's football. Like, we only get 16 of these. What am I going to do? Sit here and root against the Patriots? A game they almost won. Right. A game in which a BS call against Austin Safarian Jenkins changed the whole freaking thing. That's right. They could have been 4-2. and two. That's right. So, they lose the Patriot game. They just, you know, they collapse. Really, the story of that season is they won a Thursday night game against the Bills. To get to four and five. I was at that game. They were dancing on the field. Do you remember that? That was also the uh, everybody colorblind couldn't see the game game. Yes, that game. I was there, so it was a little different. Bills were dressed as blood clots. (laughs) Yes. The next week, and this was a Joe special, they're going to blow it against Tampa, bro. (laughs) And did they blow it against Tampa? They end up winning one more game the rest of the season. They finished five and 11 and are picking sixth. So... To a lot of Jet fans, what a colossal failure. They're trying to lose. They're trying to get Sam Darnold. Here they are picking sixth. Little did we know. that That's the Jet season. Little did we know that your freaking team, your team, who Oof. was not tanking. You guys were not trying to lose. Somehow. You the, guys had a really bad season, if somehow, you Somehow this was the worst season in the last decade, which now feels like every season's been the worst since then. Yes. But this is based on expectations. Number one, you start 0-2. The first game, Odell Beckham Jr. is not healthy enough to play, if you remember. Right. They go out, and they're uncompetitive on offense. They lose a game. I think it's 23-19-3. Yep. Whatever it they is. They got blown out. They got blown out. Week two, they end up losing a game. You think they're going to win to the lot, beat the Lions because they beat them the year before. Then it's the week three game where they have a chance to save their season. Do you remember what happened in yep. week three? What happened? That's the Jake Elliott kicks it from the parking lot to beat the Giants yeah. game. And they're 0-3. You know they're screwed. I go to Tampa for one last gasp. They go down the field, get another touchdown. You think they're going to win the game. Nick Folk then beats yes. them on a walk-off field goal, and they're 0-4, and that's it. By the way, that Philadelphia game also featured something else. That was, if I'm not mistaken, the Odell Beckham peeing game. Peeing like a dog. Peeing like a dog game, which caused 
major controversy You're around right. here. I mean, again, another huge moment in the and we ignored the kicking thing, the, the, the kicking, the making net, out yeah. with the net, which I didn't think was that big of a deal. But this P. Oh, it dog was the thing, Raven game when he proposed to the net. That was the Raven game when I was at. Yeah. We skipped though that one. Right. I think the dog peeing thing was a bigger deal. We took tons of phone calls about it, and I think at the time, Giant fans wanted them gone right then and there. See, and that to me, out of everything that's happened on Odell, and I was a longtime Odell defender, I will never understand the outrage over the fake peeing like a dog thing. They're, I believe, either winning the game or coming back. It's classless. That's why. But he's not actually urinating. No, we know he's not urinating, but he's imitating as if he is. So what? Dogs <laughs> pee. Like, he was being a dog. Like, I'm going to be a dog right now. Like, and it, By the way, it's on the Eagle logo on the end. So I loved it. I hated the Eagles. I was shocked when I, I remember turning on the radio and I said, coming into work here and going, wait, people are offended by this? If I'm a giant fan, I'm fired up I don't by think this. offended is the right word. If they win that game or if people's outraged... Um. If, yeah. I if think, Jake Elliott doesn't make yeah, that kick, I'll tell you why. We disrespected the Eagle logo. I love it. <laughs> no, I understand that, and I think "offended" is the wrong word because that makes it seem like, oh my God, we're offended by everything. Right. I think it's more the Giants are a classy organization. At least that's what they their perception has been. Well, that's long been out the window. Well, that's the problem, though, and I think a lot of old school Giant fans are saying we don't want that kind of action. Like, okay, celebrating right. by dancing. No one was offended by the salsa dancing. It was like, yay, celebrating. Peeing like a dog is, it's it's just a classless thing. All you right. don't see that? I understand that. Here is going to be my counterpoint to every old farty giant fan oh, that obsesses over the late 80s giants. Lawrence Taylor. Okay. okay? Was anything more offensive than what Lawrence Taylor did? What he did off do? the field was wrong, and I okay. think we all know and that. And we turned our back to it and didn't care, and we cheered and went nuts, and it didn't matter. But, Sean, there's, look. No one is suggesting that imitating a dog and peeing on the field is worse than some of the things that LT right. probably did. But that's my point, though. Don't be hypocritical. It's, it's different, though, because I think you want this action on the field as if you've been there before, as if you can handle success with class. And, again, not saying what Odell did was worse than Lawrence Taylor. It's not. But on the field of play, you are looking for something I a guess, little class. I guess, but you know what? I, it's not even a giant thing. I didn't mind when Randy Moon did, Randy, Randy Moon. Randy, Randy Moon. Moss did the fake moon to the Lambo The face. Joe like, Buck overreaction is the best part. Right. Like, I laugh at that kind of stuff. Like, he's just lifting his leg and imitating a dog. So you didn't think it was a big deal? No. Okay. You, at this point, you still love Odell. Love Odell. Not why, his fault. Why is this team 1-8? Why are they sucking? Why did they finish 3-13? and 13? How do you I, define what went wrong with this team? I, I think, honestly, I think the defense was good, not as great as the year before. Gave up a lot of big plays late in games. The, the defense Giants were in a statistically lot of games. was awful. Right. I mean, they were just bad all the way around. But but there were a lot of times where they would look like the defense from the year before, and then it would come to crunch time, and they would right. completely wilt. It would give up a lot of big plays, stuff like that. And I think, ultimately, you had an offense and a defense that just started a rift, and you had a head coach that had no finger on the pulse. It was almost as if they had two head coaches. Right. It was Ben McAdoo and it was Steve Spagnola, and there was no continuity. It was two teams playing every week, the, not one. The 17 Giants, along with, believe it or not, the 17 Mets, are two of the biggest disappointments that New York sports has seen in the last decade. Yeah. The Mets are coming off back-to-back playoff appearances. Remember, in 16, they were ravaged by injuries, yet still made the playoffs. Right. Whoa, they're going to be on fire in 17, and they sucked. The 17 Giants are coming off an 11-win year. They have the head coach, right? Yeah, and that was what was so remarkable. In a calendar year, really in a few months, we witnessed two of the biggest disappointments this town had ever seen with, and and this crosses over because obviously you're a Yankee Giant fan. I'm a Met Jet fan, so we can kind of bond in this. The Mets and Giants were mad. I'm stunned they went 3-13 and that year. No one saw that coming. I'm stunned, but ultimately, I mean, what really did – 
fi- the final, if you will, we were never going to hold on to McAdoo. On top of players quitting and fighting on airplanes is what we, I mean, it's your podcast. But we'll get to, Let, yeah. Let's do it right now because right. that's the next step. Uh, benching Eli for Geno Smith. I, to me, I, I was ravaging Ben McAdoo at the time. Mike was. A lot of people were. It was that it's Geno. Yes. That was my biggest issue. Yes. You and had that another should never young... be forgotten. No, and that's what it was. It was Davis Webb wasn't the guy starting. And I know it's a joke now. Davis Webb, Davis Webb, who is he? That's not the point. It's kind of like what Joe and I used to do with Bryce Petty and Greg McElroy. It's the see what you got guy. Right. Also, they spent a third round pick on Davis Webb. Yeah. Davis Webb was a transfer from Texas Tech that went to Cal. Everybody thought uh, that you know, at least he ha- he could have been something. He could have been Russell Wilson. You know what I mean? Maybe sure. that was the guy that. Sure. So, and we know we laugh about it now, but. He's sitting there. He's on the bench. I have no issue at two and nine to see what you got because we know Eli's getting older and he looks older at this so point. So your issue was my issue, which was it's Geno, stupid. You're picking the wrong guy. Davis I'm not Webb offended starts by versus Oakland. I'm never, never once ticked off about. I it. think the I think it was that, and the other thing was the streak. But no, it, it, and this is going to sound weird. You may not agree with me on this. Bedside matters. What I mean by that is you're doing something significant. You're sitting Eli Manning. You got to handle it in a different way. John Mara and Jerry Reese, specifically John Mara, need to meet the media. Ben McAdoo can't be as cold about it as he was. It needs to be this celebration of Eli Manning before you do it. And I do think that would have made a difference. I really do. It was um, done in a very cold way. And I would agree. And I think what didn't help them was very before that, I guess it was the year before that was the Romo Dak Prescott where Romo took the podium when he was nearing a return. Right. And he had all this nice stuff to say. And this is, you know, I was a young boy and this is Dak stuff. I wanted that moment from Eli then and there. And I don't think we would have gone through the last three years had we gotten that moment. Everything would have been different. Well, everything would have been different. And I'm, uh, by the way, I'm totally blaming McAdoo and everybody for this. I put some blame still to this day on the way Eli handled that moment, too. We don't know what Eli was told. And I think John Mara deserves a lot right. of the blame. And, and John Mara... Top you know, to bottom, I think everybody was a disaster. They messed it up. And I think that mess up contributed to Eli Manning remaining the quarterback, not only after that one start by Geno, but for the entire 2018 right. season. And I have no proof of this, but I, I will, you'll never be able to convince me that the, so, the search that would follow after getting rid of McAdoo did not constitute... If you say that you believe in Eli Manning, you'll be hired. Yeah. I do believe well, that took place. And they did not They did Eli a disservice, and I'll tell you why. If that's handled differently and Eli Manning's giant career essentially ends in the middle of 2017, and they say, you know, kind of like what the Colts did with Peyton Manning, thank you for your time, we're going to let you go, I bet you Eli gets a starting quarterback job in 2018. He probably would. He probably would, and that would have been fine, and he would have been fine. And, and who knows? Who knows where it is? Right. Who knows if he – he could have won a Super Bowl for all we know. Right. He could have ended up in Jacksonville. None of us know that answer, but they didn't give him the opportunity. Right. They kept them, which would serve no good for anybody. Neither Eli nor the Giants benefited by him staying here beyond that year. What did you think about the game and watching Geno Smith? Was it awkward? Was it weird? It was awkward because I think there were at least moments in that game in the first half where Geno's mobility yeah. showed. And I wanted to hate on Geno so big because I hated the way he handled everything with the Jets. And I remember thinking to myself, like, you know, Geno Smith doesn't look as bad here. And I right. understand the the point of we maybe Ben McAdoo throwing at, we need something more mobile in my offense now. So I was uncomfortable watching it, but I walked away, I think, with this, I'm afraid to admit that maybe starting Geno wasn't the worst idea in the world. All right, let's all connect things. So the Giants finished 3-13. and 13. You now are set up to be picking towards the top of the NFL draft. Going to get our quarterback. Well, that's the question, is that you're, even before they hire a brand-new head coach, a brand-new general manager, which is coming, obviously. Jerry Reese is fired before the season is over. Ben McAdoo is fired. 
Is it in your brain, we're going to be the team taking the quarterback, no doubt? Like, what's your thought? My thought is any smart organization who has an aging quarterback who's picking top two, mm. who never gets up that high, and is now in the deepest quarterback draft we've seen in years, of course you're taking a quarterback. So it wasn't even a debate for you? No, it wasn't a debate. The debate was which quarterback do you take? And I did a lot of it because I'm a college football fan, too. I sure, did a sure. deep dive. Uh, I was obsessed with, this makes too much sense, Josh Rosen's got to be the Giants quarterback. Really? Yes. I appreciate you admitting that. I do. I believe that. You I, thought he was the most ready of the quarterbacks. Yeah, and I thought he'd be the perfect fit coming from L.A. to New York. I think a lot of the stuff people didn't like about him was a little overrated. Right. Uh, I would have been fine with Darnold. If you told me they took Darnold, I would have been fine, too. But Rosen was my 1A, and Darnold was my 1B. Did you think of Baker? Because no one knew Baker no. Mayfield was going number one no. overall at no. this time. I, I thought Baker was the wrong mentality for the Giants, knowing everything we were dealing with while coming off a little how would you? Room. How would you, and let's admit this, none of us had Lamar Jackson in the big four, okay? I, I thought Lamar Jackson should have been a wide receiver. Oh, God, really? I did. See, that I didn't think. And I, The and guy I, was so good in college. He was, and he was a good thrower in college. I, it wasn't just that running quarterbacks can't survive. He just always struck me as a very, like, thre- uh, frail, you know, guy. Like, to me, he came across more as a Braxton Miller for me. So here is how I ranked the four guys. Okay. This was my personal rankings before anything happened. Uh, Sam Darnold, number one. Uh, Baker Mayfield, number two. Josh Allen, number three. Josh Rosen, number four. Okay, I did so not. Down on Rosen. I okay. did not think Rosen would be this bad, and basically, essentially, he's not going to get another opportunity. Much like we talked about in part one with David Carr and, mm-hmm. and Mark Sanchez, I also wonder how much of that is Rosen Maybe. getting screwed. My issue with Rosen, because I want to be fair about why Adam Fourth was health, and I was nervous he was ever going to stay completely healthy. But Sam was my number one guy. I wanted the Jets to trade up. I knew the Giants are sitting there at two. I knew Cleveland is probably taking a quarterback, even though there were all these creative ideas since the Browns are picking one and four. They don't have to take a quarterback. Right, could one. they take Barkley and wait for the other guy to fall to four? Right. right. I never really sensed that would happen, but I did assume Sam Darnold would be taken by the Cleveland Browns. So I was under the belief they're going to end up with Baker Mayfield. That was my thought. When McCagnan trades up, and remember, he's trading up like a month or two out of right. the draft. For not a top two spot, no, for two quarterback for needy teams, in right. essence. I loved it because he didn't give up a future first. And if and I was studying the history of trading up because I'm in a position to trade up. You're picking two. You're, right. you're not doing anything. The history of trading up said the Jets have to give up a future one. That's what it said. The fact that they gave up extra second round picks, still draft capital, right. I loved it. And to me, I was like, look, I know I'm getting a quarterback. I'm either getting the third quarterback or I'm getting the second quarterback, depending right. on what your team did. And I loved that. So I was a huge fan, blindly, of McCagney trading And it should up. not be understated in what every expert deemed the best quarterback draft, maybe since 04 with yes. Eli Roethlisberger and Rivers. Yes. Okay. Dave Gettleman's hire. What was your thoughts? Did you like it? Carolina, giant connections? I did because I'm I'm a typical hypocrite in that I don't like change. And I knew the time had come. I, I was ready to get rid of Reese. And obviously McAdoo lost touch. But McAdoo had giant – I mean, I'm sorry. Gettleman had giant ties. Uh, he was a part of a, super, a team that went to the Super Bowl in Carolina. I was totally fine with bringing in Dave Gettleman as he, the general manager. Pat Shermer is head coach. Uh, wasn't my first choice. Didn't necessarily hate it when I went and did my research on what happened in Cleveland. His his Cleveland, now we know he probably did suck there for a reason, but he never really had a chance to gather the team because he was there on that lockout year. Yeah. So, and watching what he had just done with Case Keenum 
as the as the Minnesota offensive coordinator, making him all of a sudden look like a pro bowler. I said, well, geez, we're in the market to draft a quarterback. I, okay, fine. This guy just did this with Keenum. It's the perfect guy to bring in, which to me only led me to think again they were taking a quarterback. Yeah, I, I liked the Pat Shermer hire at the time because I thought, okay, he'll learn from the mistakes right. of Cleveland. Offensive-minded guy, like you said, did a great right. job as offensive I coordinator. I wanted Josh McDaniels. As it turned out, that would have been a disaster. Jeez, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I didn't think Gettleman and Shermer was, a, was an awful combination, but I was adamant, kind of what you said earlier, if you're picking number two in the NFL draft and you have an aging quarterback, you have to take a quarterback. Right. And so, and it wouldn't have been a reach to do so. Not at all. Not at all. And you got the sense early on he wasn't taking a quarterback. You got the sense early on that Eli Manning was going to be the guy that loved Saquon Barkley. And my thought at the time, and, and I think this is going to be a debate for the next 10 years. This is going to be a you know what they should have done kind of thing. I said, if you win a Super Bowl in the next two years, it's great. That's great because Saquon Barkley helps you win. Right. But if you can find a quarterback in the next draft or maybe even that draft, that also makes it okay. That's where the debate lies because obviously a year later, they took Daniel Jones. Right. If Daniel Jones is better than any of the quarterbacks taken, then what the hell are we arguing about? They right. ended up finding their guy. So I always knew, yes, I would take a quarterback, but this isn't going to – the debate's not ending anytime soon. Yeah, but there's also different variations of that because I love Daniel Jones now, what they have. Everything I've seen, I think he's only going to get better. And who knows? You don't really know how great he's going to be, but I do love what I've seen. But they still could have – the idea that if they were going to take a running back, then see if you could have traded back. I mean – Yeah, look, Saquon wasn't going to be there. You, you know, know what? He, he, but that's fine. I would have been fine taking a Bradley Chubb playing – in the pass rush spot, Quentin Nelson on that offensive line. Wow, that's that would have something, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, to me, running back is such a luxury item. Right. It's like not being able to afford your mortgage, but then buying a Ferrari. Like, I got that's, you. That's, what that's a good comparison. That's what drafted Saquon Barkley in that spot felt like to me as a Giants fan. Were you nervous about the connections our two franchises were having? We're clearly dra- – the Jets were so obviously taking a quarterback, and they're picking right behind you that even if you took a quarterback, whoever we took – you could have had, and if he turns out to be great, not only is he in your backyard, you could have had him. You got to remember, in this draft, uh, we're coming off the Eagles winning a Super Bowl. So That's that was, true. That was yes. something I had never seen before, never thought I was going to see. To me, this was a microcosm of now Philadelphia's won their Super Bowl. I can't even hold that against the Eagle fans. Now the Jets, after we just passed up what could potentially be our quarterback, get their franchise quarterback for a running back, I felt like that date and that draft day was the changing of football in New York. Really? I did. That was my initial reaction that this was going to be a jet town for the next 15 years and the Giants were going to always w- rue this day. So, and, and by the way, that could still happen. I still mean, can. Sam. I do feel differently now, but I, I still could. All right, let's get to it then because okay. Sam Darnold is now playing for the New York Jets. It's 2018. Todd Bowles remains his head coach. Jeremy Bates is going to try to blossom him. Uh, Joe's ticked off before the season even started. Bowles is the coach. What I reminded him, what gave me hope, is we had seen a list of quarterbacks have a coach for one year, have the coach get fired, and then someone new takes over. We saw that with Jared Goff with the Rams. We saw that with Mitchell Trubisky in Chicago. So, look, if they don't win games, Joe, don't worry. Bowles will be gone. They'll bring an offensive-minded guy in. Was there any point watching the Jets that year where you said, because Sam had a great first game against the Lions. That was a tremendous Monday night victory. Did start with the pick six. Yeah, well, okay. (laughs) He started with the pick six. Well, don't, don't. This isn't the butt fumble all over again. No, Don't rush right. over that. Look, I know they win the game, but that's ironic that he starts his career with a pick. He did. I was, and you know what? When it happened, wasn't even worried. Yeah. I said, okay. That's I actually laughed. a good one. You laughed. I'm I sure laughed. you did. I, I was... Not that I laughed or was calm that, oh, don't worry, he'll be a Hall of Famer. Don't worry, they're going to win the game. Anyway, it was more... That's actually a good sign. Just right. get, get that, out of, get the that way. out of the way. And then he responded, which I thought was really impressive. 
I, I thought Sam's rookie year was was good at times. I thought it was frustrating at times. I think the the break that he had in the middle of the season was actually good when Josh McCown took over because uh, I thought he looked a lot better the kind of the last few weeks of the season. I thought the Texan game was pretty impressive. So I I felt overall pretty good about Sam's rookie season. Yeah, and again, for me, I'm one of these people when it comes to watching a rookie first-round quarterback that the win-loss record does not matter to me right. whatsoever. It doesn't matter to me this year as a Giant fan, and I don't think it should have mattered to Jet fans the year before. It's about... Do you like the progress your quarterback's making, and is your head coach the right fit for said drafted quarterback? Yeah. And I think I I love the progress that Sam Donald made by the end of the year, and I, I think there too. was no reason to enter 2019 not expecting the next big step well, out of Sam Donald. The, the, uh, but the problem was I don't think you could have loved the coach. Well, that was the biggest question going in because right. I, I was calm by the middle of the year, calming Joe. Bowles is gone. Like right. I, I said, he's not. they're not bringing him back. The question is, are they going to bring the GM back? I was partial towards keeping him only because he just drafted this quarterback. Right. Um, I was never worried they were getting rid of Todd Bowles. They finally obviously did get rid of Todd Bowles, and I'll never forget. I think this is a, an infamous moment in our show's history. When Joe is out on Black Monday, as they call it, when the coaches are fired, um, I'm doing the show. Joe's on the phone. And ve- Joe's so good after victory. And by victory, I mean the firing of Todd Bowles. He's not going to dance on the dude's grave because he doesn't have any issue with Todd Bowles the human. Right. So we spent five seconds on Todd Bowles. I'm glad they did it. Now we got to find the right guy. And so we're talking Mike McCarthy, this, that. Towards the end of the interview, I say, I got a name that is scaring the crap out of me. And Joe's like, what do you got? And I said, it's not a rumor. It's just something that's scaring me. It's something I'm thinking I could see the Jets doing. And it's Adam Gase. Bro, is that real? I said, no, 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 it's not real. It's not real. I just know he's available, and I could see the Jets saying, offensive-minded guy, Bob Payton, man. Like, I could see it. And we both spent about five minutes freaking out over something that was not even a rumor. It was something I just brought up out of nowhere, and it turned out to be very, very, very prophetic because that's who they hired. And I have never been as angry over a coaching hire in my entire life as I was over Adam Gase. Yeah, me and you actually fought about this in the newsroom because I was pro-Gase. I wouldn't, have, I wouldn't have minded Gase as the head coach of the Giants. I fought with you. I fought with a lot of yeah, people about yeah. it. Yeah, I said, you Mostly guys, I said let the guy coach a game for the Jets first. And I, I really just thought, again, I'd buy hook, line, and sinker like a sucker into Peyton Manning. You're like, right? When Peyton Manning <laughs> still, this guy was a good coordinator. Who can win in Miami? This, that, the other oh, thing. Uh, and now, on, you know what's convinced me more on Adam Gase being the wrong hire? It's not anything's done with the Jets. It's how good Ryan Tannehill has oh, been with, really? the, with the Tennessee Titans. <laughs> because if Adam Gase is supposed to be Mr. Quarterback and Mr. Offensive Guru. I, I already know this. I already know this. So unless you're just going to sit here and say, hey, Evan, I apologize. I'm going to apologize. Thank to you. you. I'm sorry. I don't think Adam Gase will be a good head coach for the New York Jets. Thank as we you. Head, as we head to the next decade. We catch up in 10 years. We'll discuss <laughs> the beginning of the yeah, decade. Right. Guy with, with three Adam Super Bowls. Right. <laughs> Look, it, I, there's a difference between Pat Shermer and Adam Gase. And I think we've both been wrong about Pat Shermer. Pat Shermer has been a failure. We didn't know that going into 2018. And I'll, I'll quickly ask you that. 5-11, and 11, Eli remains at quarterback, which is, you know, it, it's it, it wasn't the right thing to do at 37 years old. But once they decide not to take a quarterback, it's obviously what they're going to do. It felt Say, like they had predetermined to flush the season down the drain. Though. Yeah, but when you're flushing it with a 21-year-old running back named Saquon Barkley, who had a tremendous rookie season, lived up to all the hype, it, it, it just felt as if, what, what were they going to do? 
I mean, once they decide not to take a quarterback, or yeah, what are they? They're going to go sign Case Keenum? Like, no, what are they no, do? no, no, no. I knew Eli had to play, but it just felt like you were delaying the inevitable, and yeah. you were just watching Eli's record tick further to five hundred. Was there so. anything in the first year that made you say Pat Shermer's not the guy? No, and I argued with friends about this who started one and seven, by the, the way. Right, finished the, a little bit better. The record wasn't there, but I knew uh, as bad as the offensive line was, I was done with Eli as the quarterback, and it does. And I think a lot of Giant fans, and this is where everything kind of got controversial. Couldn't separate themselves from, I can love Eli, love Eli's legacy, could be your favorite player of all time, but also acknowledge that it was just time to move on. And I had such a sour taste in my mouth, knowing it was time. And how many Giant fans said, no, we're going all in. We have the running back for Eli. And it didn't matter. And to me, I just watched that whole season just so angry because I'm watching one of my favorite plays of all time continue to deteriorate when it didn't have to happen on this team. What were your thoughts on signing Odell Beckham Jr. to a contract extension? Loved which it. was You loved, loved it. It, it was loved very it. debated in, in giant fandom. We talked about this a little while ago on Revis. You have the guy. Don't let him walk. Make sure he's here. Make sure he's a giant. He's not the problem. Uh, and also, I always felt like Odell, as much as he had some of this stupid stuff going on on the field and everything, right. he was not a guy in handcuffs, not a guy, you know, domestic violence, any of these troubled problems we're reading about in the NFL. That was not Odell Beckham Jr. He was just a clown. I agreed with you. So I'm I, with you on this topic. Yeah, yes, so I would have kept him. I absolutely would have kept him. So I was excited about that. I was excited to see him and Saquon, but ultimately I just didn't think we had the quarterback to, to work with those two. No, I felt we were flushing the season. Nor did you have the offensive line. And that's why I didn't want to crush Shermer because the main reason I, I was okay with Shermer was his ability to do what he did with Case Keenum, and I didn't think that was going to happen with Eli Manning. I wanted to see who the, they would eventually get a quarterback. So they go in and have a, a five-win season. Shermer, you're not blaming. Gettleman is still the no. GM. Plus, how, how do you know how bad Shermer's going to be in-game when the team stinks and – they were going to stink anyway. It's t- look, you know I, what I mean? They're not, they're not losing that game because Shermer can't figure out in-game but situations. But you know what? And, hey, look, I, and I've said this before, and Fisdale was the real topic of this. David Fisdale was a terrible head coach. And the defense of David Fisdale's horrible coaching is, well, the team is bad. And I think that's lazy. I think if you watch games close enough, you can tell what a bad coach is, even when a team is bad. And by the way, the early return since Fisdale's been fired has proven guys like myself yeah, right, you're right that maybe he was a part of the problem, not the problem. So, But also second half of 18 made me think, People are buying into Sherman. Okay. No, and because they, they made a reason run to. there. Right. You, you, they had reason to. Okay. This offseason for the Giants was bizarre. Um, the worst. They, the decision on Landon Collins, the. Fine. You were fine with that because you, of the money he got. Okay. I love Landon Collins, and Landon Collins is going to be. Could have traded him at the trade deadline. You could have. But you know what? They were getting a compensatory third round pick anyway, and that's probably what they would have got at the True. deadline. So I know it's a later third round pick. I right. get it. I didn't have as big a deal with not trading. All right, now they trade Odell Beckham Jr., which that I melted down over. You were very upset. I lost my mind. First of all, not only do you trade him, you traded him after just signing him, so it hurts you from a salary cap standpoint. Um, also, you trade him, but then you end up signing Golden Tate afterwards, which didn't make any sense because are you going full tank mode? And on top of that, it's I never thought they got some kind of great hole for. You know, they had already agreed on the Olivier Vernon conference, and that all became one trade. Yeah, it became, it got it merged became into one a trade. trade. So I think we got look, a first-round pick, and you got Jabiro Peppers. Right, but then when I'm, a lot of the – see, this is where Gettleman started to lose me. Okay. There were those rumors, and you can look up some of these stories, where Gettleman was quoted as saying when, when it comes to Lane Collins, it's oftentimes hard to really grade a safety. Right. He said this, right, okay, yeah, right. when we're paying him. But yet, when they acquired Jabril Peppers, he spun it to every giant fan. Like, look, this is essentially a first-round pick. We got Jabril Peppers. Well, hold on. Wait a minute. If you're admitting it's hard to grade a safety on Landon Collins, I know Jabril Peppers was taken in the first round. Right. How could you sell giant fans that you've graded him as a first-rounder still? This is one of those trades. It's kind of like the whole draft that intertwines the Jets and Giants. We don't have an answer yet on who made the right decision. No, this isn't incomplete. Right now, would you agree the decision to trade Odell Beckham Jr. looks smart? 
Yes, I do. Okay. Yes, so I far. Do. So far. Now, that can obviously change in many, many ways. But there's multiple layers as to why it looks smart. I of th- course. I thought he would still be a clown in Cleveland because I, I thought once he was off his leash at that point, he was right. going to go to a bad situation. Uh, I think, honestly, what really helps it is Darius Slate. Yeah. I really do. I, I think the drafting of Darius Slate, and yeah. when you get a guy and you look at the production he's having compared to the production Odell Beckham's having, well, then it's really hard to complain. Do you feel, because I, I don't want to spend, and I've done this with all the teams, I'm not spending a lot of time on 19. We've just done that. I agree. Listen to this radio station. As this decade is ending, as a Giant fan, how do you feel about the franchise? I think, boy, this is actually it's like a time capsule to look back 10 years It's going to be fun, isn't it? And we will look back on it. I do <laughs> believe they have their guy in Daniel Jones. Mm-hmm. But I do worry, much like we brought up with Mark Sanchez, I keep. I, this has kind of been a theme for me. Yeah. I worry we will not get the right head coach in place to get the most out of Daniel Jones, and I worry that once Shermer's gone, they won't make the right hire that we may never know how good Daniel Jones could have been. You know been. what's so funny? Can you do me a favor? What? Can you just repeat that same line except uh, replace Daniel Jones with Sam Darnold and Shermer with Gase? Right. I, I feel the exact same way. I, I, worry I, that, I love Darnold. I'm just, two years in, I still feel good about him. I'm worried about the coach and who the coach is moving forward right. into this next decade. Right, and it's so – I and I don't know about you – and, and where you stand on what the, well, Chet's already announced they're bringing Gates back. Right. But let's just let's just play the game that they surprise you and get. Rid At of the them. time of this posting of this uh, right. dropping of this podcast, right. Adam Gates is still the head coach. Still the head the coach, and we've been told that he's coming back. <laughs> right. Okay. Right. I believe that unlike the trend of everybody hiring the next McVay, I think the trend in the NFL needs to change specifically for our two franchises in getting stable head coaches. And by that I mean Mike McCarthy. Ron Rivera, I won't say Jason Garrett, or at least guys that you know can run a program, Matt Rule, Urban Meyer, I don't want the hotshot coordinator. I got you. That is where I stand, and I think if they think hotshot offensive mind helped the quarterback, I think you're losing sight of all the other things that go into controlling a team. I did this question for every sports team. I think your answer is very easy. I think my answer is a hell of a lot more complicated. The player of the decade for the New York football giants is... Still Eli Manning. It's got to be. He won us a Super Bowl. I want and, and, and real quickly, yeah. I'm sorry. To, I know no, go ahead, podcast, go ahead, go, go, do it. I just think this needs to be hammered home on this podcast at the end here when talking about Eli Manning being the player of the decade in 2011. 2011 and 2007 are not the same when it comes to Eli Manning. Mm-hmm. 2007 was a total team effort, as is every Super Bowl for the most part, but everybody talks about the defense. 2011, a 9-7 and team, the only Super Bowl team to ever win a Super Bowl with the 32nd or worst-ranked rush offense, with an offensive line that, look at San Francisco, was not good, and a defense that was signing linebackers off the street in November. 2011, Eli Manning put the Giants on his back, and he said, ride me home. And I know a lot of breaks went their way. To me, I look back, he has to be the player of the Giants decade because 2011 was more about Eli than anything else on that Giant team. I'll ask you your opinion. Who's the Jets player of the decade? Because this is a tough one. Right. A, a lot of these teams are easy. Some are tough. Like, to the Knicks, it was Carmelo. It was easy. For the Nets, it's Brooke Lopez. I think that's easy. For the Mets, it's Jacob DeGrom. I thought the Yankees were a little bit more complicated. Uh, we agreed on CC Sabathia. The Giants, it's easy. The Rangers, it's easy. The Islanders, it's easy. It's John Tavares. The Devil one was a little complicated. Um, I think I would still go Revis. It is that, that, I'm glad you're backing up my initial thought on it. I think a lot of people want to not say Revis because of how it ended. But remember, a big part of this decade, before we just got to some really lean years, Mm -hmm. was them going back-to-back AFC title games. And while I love Bart, and Bart was flashy with the comments, and and Mark Sanchez kind of steadied things a little bit offensively, and 
you know, you can go down the list of wide receivers they had walked through there, Santonio Holmes, Braylon Edwards, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Darrell Revis was always the stabilizing force when the Jets were good in their good years. Here's so. the thing. It, it, to me, it's Darrell Revis, and maybe it's because there's really no, you Can I say Jamal Adams? How can I? I mean, I love right. Jamal. I think but, the wins have to come with it. Of course. It's a big part of it. Unless we're doing a Cleveland Browns decade in review. <laughs> no, I, of course. But here's the resume in this decade of Darrell Revis. He was drafted in 2007, so it's not like it was 2001. Nah. 2009's season is the past decade. The postseason run is this decade. The entire 2010 run in which he was all pro is this decade. 2011, in which he had a great season, despite the team not having a great season, was all pro, was this decade. 2012, he got hurt. 13 and 14, he's not here. Again, I thought he was good in 15, and he came back. 16, forget about it. So that's two amazing years, but he was here for about four of the 10. It's not like it's one of the 10. And again, I'd ask... Well, who are you putting ahead of him? I mean, who is the guy that you're saying, it's not Revis, it's this guy? It, Jamal Adams has been great. And I'm hoping that for the next decade, we're going to look back at this decade and say, yeah, it should have been Jamal Adams. But I don't know. I mean, Jamal Adams has played in three of the years of this decade. I'd hope the next decade we look back and say it's Sam Darnold. Well, but, yeah, yeah, of to course. Me, right. Look, that's if we're partial to the quarterback. Right. I, Look, I, of course, well, I'm hope just it's saying Darnold. for the ultimate success, I would think you're going to look back and think it's I'd, probably the quarterback. I'd like it to be both of them, but right. of course you're right. right. Of course. You, the quarterback is always the most important thing. Uh, so I'd go with Darrell Revis for the Jets. I think we're in agreement on that. Eli Manning for How the Jets. How about Jones. that? We never agree on something. We just agreed on both players of the decade. Sometimes it's easy, though. I guess. <laughs> I mean, sometimes it's a little bit easier. I appreciate it. Uh, we've done quite a lot of Jet and Giant talk. I think there was some good moments. There was a lot of bad, a lot of depressing. Very depressing. Hopefully the next decade will be a lot better. Yeah, yeah. We'll have, like, teenagers next decade. That's right. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> have to, maybe they can do the podcast. <laughs> Sean Morash on the Giants and Jets Decade in Review. One more Decade in Review podcast. It's uh, Ernie and I producing the Midday Show talking about all the big sports talk radio topics of the last 10 years. That'll be the last one, and that will air on New Year's Day. Thank you for listening to this edition of the Evan Roberts Podcast.